0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of 32, the 28th podcast. I'm your host, Alexander, and today I'm joined by Lewis from the Oldhammer Fiction podcast. Hello, Lewis. Hi there, Alexander. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm really good. It's
1: really good to be here.
0: It's excellent to have you on. I mean, we don't talk with other podcasters that often, so I think this is really an interesting opportunity to, to see how other people do stuff and what they find interesting about podcasting and the hobby as well. But hey, uh, let's start with introducing you. So you're Lewis. you're the host of the Old Hammer Fiction Podcast and tell me a little bit what is the Old Hammer Fiction Podcast? So um,
1: the Old Hammer Fiction Podcast is a series of reading and analyses of the fiction that was written by Games Workshop between well the the official years are nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety five. That's when Games Workshop was producing what are called or referred to as the Warhammer novels. This is before Black Library there was an imprint of fiction that was written by um, authors from mostly by authors from outside of Games Workshop and published. As novels, and I'm going through first of all the short stories, and now in the in the second year of the podcast, the novels. I'm going through doing readings of these stories, um, and I'm then kind of providing an analysis, context, placing them in the sense of of history of Games Workshop of Warhammer. Um, As the podcast has gone on, I've sort of expanded into doing readings of the short fiction that came from um some of the the role playing books from some of the the books like realm of chaos um for the first anniversary i went through and read all of the xenos related fiction that appeared between white dwarf 106 and 141 um sort of like these and often there'd be those like little fiction boxes in a in an article in white dwarf and there's enough there to to make a little reading out of some of it i think is the p- stuff that is probably Everybody has the moment when you looked at something in a Games Workshop book or you looked at something to do with Warhammer and you were like, oh, oh, oh wow. And you yeah. kind of the 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 addiction or the sort of sense of attraction ratchet turned. Mm-hmm. And I think there's moments I'll so give you an example. I read the um the chaos versus Eldar Craft World Fiction. From White Dwarf 127, where an avatar fights a greater demon of slanish, um, and I I, re- I was wasn't madly into the Eldar as a kid, but I remember reading this fiction and being like, oh wow, oh this is this is really really good, and it had made such an impression on me that when I went back to look at it years later, I was convinced that that story was accompanied by an illustration of the battle. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the magazine, it wasn't there. And I purely (laughs) imagined the picture of this kind of, these kind of chaos rhinos trundling down the hill and this big melee. I'd entirely constructed it in my head from kind of other bits of Warhammer art and this story. So I think, certainly for me, this, the, the fiction is often an integral bit of what brings, you know, the hobby to life. And it's an attempt to kind of capture some of the the magic of that, but then also to think about the context, the references, the inspirations, the the meaning of what um, of what Warhammer was at the time. What's really interesting about that period is that there wasn't a lot of things sort of set in stone at that point although there was a clear Warhammer world and you had Mm Bretonia and Tilia and Astal, you know, all of that type of thing, although there was a 40K universe with with space marines, what those things were going to be was not fully decided by a kind of build-up of layers of, well, look, look at the precedent, it's this. So what I found really fascinating about this project is you encounter a load of alternative universes a load mm-hmm. of things that could have been, that they could have developed, um, yeah. that they then that then didn't get developed. Um the thing that I, I picked up really early on, that I guess I didn't pick up when I was reading these as a kid, is there's a story in the first anthology that has a queer central character. There's a lesbian as one of the uh, central characters. Ignorant armies. Ignorant right? armies. And the other, yeah. one of the main characters, is a lesbian. And... Mm-hmm. There was a lesbian in Games Workshop, in the Games Workshop Warhammer Worlds, before there yeah. were orc clans. Yeah? Lesbians go yeah. back. Do you see what I mean? Like <laughs> the, so and it's just it's really interesting to me that like there's all these things that people could have gone, oh, this is what we're interested in. Ah, oh, this is where it's gonna go, and kind of pick it up. Yeah. And of course, the kind of the truth of it, the, the interesting thing is, is they're coming to the end of the Horace Heresy series now. And the mm. last of those, like the Siege of Terror book, that big Siege of Terror book that they just released was yeah. dedicated to Ian Watson, who was ah, one of the okay. early they one of yeah. the first 40k writers. The
0: and Inquisition Wars. Yeah, the Inquisition
1: Wars yeah. and Space Marine and um, Warped Stars. And yeah. you can absolutely see the idea that Ian Watson did mm-hmm. shape the things that Warhammer would go on to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's streamlined a bit more these days, I would say, the fiction, to fit into the kind of like trope-driven uh, armies you get because of it. it's a tabletop game compared to like an RPG where you're, in my opinion, more free to explore. You don't have to have like this is what this country looks like. It's not like everyone wear round hats here and everyone wear hoods here. It's more open way, in that way. And mm-hmm. I think like the, the current fiction is slightly more uh, to the modern tabletop set. So you know kind of like what to expect from it. But on the other hand, like the Chaos versus Eldar story you mentioned, I have a strong memory of reading this as like, teenager, and I think they must have reprinted it a couple of times, mm. because I didn't get the White Dwarfs of that era, because I didn't speak English back then. I was too young to learned <laughs> it. So I think that's one of those good stories that they knew, were kind of like, we're on to gold here, mm, let's yeah. do it. I think they slightly edited it to fit more into the... Because when I read it now again, I was like, I don't remember really this like uh, ragtag chaos army. I think mm-hmm. they changed it a little bit to fit more into the,
1: the, modern, the at that yeah, point, the... yeah, the modern yeah, style well...
0: of 40k. I think it's like mm-hmm. third edition 40k. But mm-hmm. again, I might like if I went back and found that white dwarf, I might, as you, you know, discovered it. I was completely wrong, <laughs> and it was <laughs> a completely different story. But yeah, I mean those. Early stories are really quite interesting, but you said like '89 uh, was that the correct year, right? Yeah, so that's yeah, the year they launched the novel, the novel line. Um, yeah, it's and in many ways that's kind of like the end tale of what people now call Oldhammer. I disagree with you on that one. All right. Okay. <laughs> but let's, so let's dig into that. Like, what is because of you know not everyone is familiar with old hammer. So okay. let's open that up a bit. What is old hammer? You know, in your your take on it.
1: Okay. So um, you can ask three uh, two people who are into old hammer what old hammer is and get three answers. Mm-hmm. Um, the the way in which people have interpreted old hammer. Um, since the concept has been conceived of has been one which people haven't fully been able to agree upon. Um, so it probably it would probably help if I gave you a kind of my understanding of the history of the Old Hammer movement, and that would kind yeah. of draw us to to something. So it seems that it begins with blogs and that there was mm-hmm. a, initially a community of bloggers who were blogging about older miniatures? I'm guessing. I think this is a sort of early to mid um, 2000s kind of time. Yeah,
0: I think that and sounds they, about right. Yeah. Like blogs were big then, mm-hmm.
1: and they're blo- and you've got these people blog, and slowly but surely they form into a community whose interest seems to be around older Warhammer miniatures. We're talking about the period before the first red box games so if you think of 1992 mm. as being this kind of like seismic moment where you get that first Warhammer fantasy battle in a big red box with the full army in it yeah. um, their, their, their interest is, is before that yeah, um, yeah. the blog um, the blogs communicate with one another at some point an oldhammer forum is set up. And you've got like a community of people talking about these things, buying these things, on these miniatures on eBay, which at the time was really, really, really cheap. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I sold things at around about that time for sort of under 20 pounds, which would be worth literally hundreds of pounds today from my kind of. 1980s collection things I had. Which yeah, I, I have those stories as yeah, well. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they and they, and they, it's a kind of culture of people buying up and creating the armies that they remember from their youths that they could probably never have afforded, um, mm-hmm. and and um, uh, with the models that they were imagining, um, with the actual models from that time. In contrast to modern Warhammer nostalgia, where Warhammer is. In the games Workshop are producing a zote the squats are back yeah. but they're back in a in a modern form um, but even then True. there was a debate about what exactly old hammer was um, and I'm gonna refer to a, um, a blog entry by a guy called zoo who um, I don't remember what his first name, what his second name is. Anyway. Uh, um, from Realm of Zoo, right? Yeah, Realm of Zoo, that's right. Yeah. And he wrote a thing called the Old Hammer Contract. Um, and he says, um, and he was thinking particularly about Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and he came up with a a number of rules that he thought captured the spirit of what Old Hammer was. Now, this isn't the definitive thing, but a lot of people at the time took this as being the spirit of war of of, of what old hammer was you had a games master yeah so you had this kind of idea of like there's somebody kind of arbitrating and helping to create a non competitive mindset by having this kind of narrative role playing adjacent feature there are no army lists except the ones that you want to take if you think he's doing he's writing in 2011 when he comes up with this um, so you're mm. right in the teeth of kind of what would that be? You're into sort of seventh edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle I think it might or have been or?
0: already in eight. Edition.
1: Yeah, maybe so. I, I yeah. like I kind of lost track of yeah for sure. But ones. you know you're yeah. absolutely in the teeth of kind of meta lists and all of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So they're saying like you you know, put your armies together out of whatever you want. Um, yeah, you don't need a two thousand point army to play the game properly. Play with whatever you fancy playing. Stop yeah. worrying about game balance. No tournaments. Mm. Um, and that were those were like the key features of what he saw as being the um, old hammer. Um, yeah. And when I joined the community in, I would guess, sort of around two thousand and fourteen, um, I I just had a well, my, we just had a baby, and I was looking for something to do that was a bit, a little bit sort of more at home and a bit more hobby-related mm-hmm. rather than going out and playing games, that was very much what they seemed to believe in as being kind of like, that would have been what lots and lots of people would have said. And yeah. they made a distinction between Old Hammer and Middle Hammer, which is mm-hmm. fourth and fifth edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle, second edition um, Rogue Trader, which they saw as being this other thing. Mm-hmm. This other I kind of
0: see, like yeah, the lines there because like Rogue Trader and 40k Second Edition are completely different when mm-hmm. it comes to the aesthetics of things. Yeah, and uh, like Space Marines goes from these kind of like uh, child psychopaths mm-hmm. into this slightly more yeah. monastic. Separate yeah. identity. but it's not.
1: It's not even. They're not even the kind of third edition Black Templar style. Oh they, no, no, no. They, no they are like likely. they are like jolly guys in red armor fighting orcs. Yes. They look like yeah, they're yeah. having a great time. I, I often True. think about that that era, and I, and I, you know, I've got a lot of time for second edition, but its aesthetic is completely off the wall compared to what came before. So, and what came after? Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, so though, though, right, and we, when I started, we'd have viewed those guys as being middle hammer, and that's something mm-hmm. completely separate. Nineteen ninety two was often agreed upon as being the cutoff point, mm-hmm. and when you get the first red box, when you get um, Kirby taking over Games Workshop, that was seen, and there's this deliberate marketing to people. Just before you know, um, you know that after toys, before girls, slot mm, of yeah. kind of early puberty, um, yeah, and as that being the market. I mean, before ninety two, that's absolutely who was playing Games Workshop as well. Anyway, I didn't. Mm. Those, you know, those are still the people that were doing it, but there was a deliberate marketing to those people, and that was seen as being a cut off point. An old hammer yeah. rejected tournament play. It held up. Narrative as being the, the core of the gaming experience. Um, and it sort of reveled in the DIY feel of, mm-hmm. of, that kind of that kind of period. As the years have gone on, I think that definition has kind of broken down and it's become much more a thing about older versions of the game doing it in your own way. So I went to bring out your lead... Um and uh, which is this year, yeah, which was the um yeah. my, my first time going actually, which is a big oh. old hammer event in the UK. And I went to bring out your lead, and I was hanging out with a bunch of guys from the Crown of Command Discord who play Middle Hammer, they play sort of like fourth, fifth edition um Warhammer, and they absolutely think of themselves as being old hammer guys, I would say. But then they would say, because they have that sense of nostalgia, but then they were yeah. saying I can't imagine anybody is nostalgic for third edition 40K, are they? And I was like, man, <laughs> the world, there's so many like YouTube channels who are full <laughs> of people who are like, oh my God, third edition 40K, you know, and, like, and they're so kind of like, that's the moment that you came in. And I think it's to do, yeah. you know, with when did you get your first hit? When oh, yeah, did you, absolutely. when, you know, when it's did,
0: like, the golden point yeah. for me. I
1: and know. like and, and I'm a I'm a I'm a ridiculous parody of that because what have what have I spent the last year doing? Recording podcasts about the Warhammer fiction line, um, the Warhammer novel line that was um that was created in nineteen eighty nine. What was mm. my first white dwarf, White Dwarf one one seven? What came out with White Dwarf one one seven, Warhammer fiction? So uh. <laughs> I've ended up, no, I, to the month, the thing I've ended up being obsessed with yeah. is the thing that came out in my first White Dwarf. Yeah. Like that's like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, this, is, this is it. This is the most interesting, most like worthy of examination thing in Warhammer. Mm-hmm. What is it? Oh, it's the thing that was the first thing I ever saw about Warhammer. We're like yeah. baby chicks implanting on their mothers. You kind of come out of the egg and you look at something and you're like, man. I love That's red it. <laughs> red Space Marines made of plastic. I love yeah. the Dark Elder box set. I you know, and there's no mm-hmm. it, it, it's almost irrational, isn't it? Like this kind yeah, of, this mean,
0: relationship. Like, for me, uh, one of those like nostalgia points is the Big Hat Chaos Dwarves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get them as a kid because they were expensive and uh, nobody I knew played fantasy. It was 40k, and it was bad, 40k, because we couldn't afford anything. So we got, like, one or two squads, and that was it, like, Mm -hmm. second edition. Yeah. But the Chaos Tours just stuck with me, because they're very different, the aesthetic of those. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, you know, red and black and evil. So it was kind of, like, colors that, you know, resonate with you. And over the years, I neglected... Decent size of them before they became like these incredible gold nuggets. Everyone mm-hmm. assumed they are these days, and uh, I was painting them over the summer, and I realized like these are really, really dumbed down dumb miniatures compared <laughs> to third edition for stuff. sure. But they are super easy to paint up when you want like you know a block mm. of them. Yeah, it was like just a, just an hour or two for good tabletop standards. Yeah. So I understand what Kirby was doing, but. I would say like fourth edition of fantasy it was slightly dumbed down in yeah, uh, I think way they were they, they made some of the ugliest models
1: I think I was mm-hmm. a chaos player and I remember ah. waiting and waiting for they oh there'll be there'll be a plastic chaos box and they produced yeah. that identical <laughs> chaos beastmen where they're all hold they've got like a sort of a, a bicep curl gesture with one yeah. hand and an axe in the other and I just remember looking at that and being like no <laughs> it's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, it's interested like, in it's
0: it. like You don't want to paint 20 of those yeah, like, and why, just line you know, them up.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was absolutely right, because that gave, that made it possible to get proper regiments onto the table. You know, they were yeah. not that expensive, and you could go, there I am, and that made the game work. I think it was a, mm-hmm. a, a you know, in some ways, fourth yeah. edition was a step forward for the game design, but yeah, they lost some of the aesthetic.
0: Yeah, you probably couldn't, like... Get kids to paint all those Realm of Chaos different champions and warriors yeah. and cult or not cultists, thugs. Mm. Or just and or, get them to like. It was too much. Mm. And what? And they weren't all carrying the same
1: equipment. So what were they? Yeah. What were they armed with? You know. And I think you know my experience of playing. Like I was very young when Third Edition was around, but my experience mm. of playing is you played with really small units. You had yeah. five Chaos Warriors and ten Beastmen. And it was just everything was kind of small because that's what you could that's what you could afford, that's what you could kind of get yeah. together. And that's not a good business. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. You want them to buy these like huge army. So I yeah. always enjoy looking back at like old white dwarfs and looking at the like battle reports, the size of the troops. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, hey, here's a thousand points army, mm-hmm. two squad of space marines, one command squad and maybe a tank or, you know, some bikes or a dreadnought. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And now it's just, like, huge armies. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Second edition was particularly
1: like that, wasn't it? You had sort of, yeah. you had, like, that Dark Angels army that was in White Dwarf that had, like, 17
0: guys in it or something. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, a scale creep. It's just a different, like, game design what they want out of the game. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like who would be nostalgic for third edition 40k? Uh, I did a small like I wouldn't say a poll, but similar on Instagram where I just asked like people on my account like, hey, what is like your favorite? And it was everyone was like third edition. Yeah. It was like, oh the codexes were so great and the look was so great. Mm-hmm. For me it was probably that the game was very fast and easy to grasp. That's what I enjoyed about it. It was Mm -hmm. like, you could have all the looks you wanted, but you didn't have to spend for us, I was like 50 and perhaps something like that. I could play for like six hours, but Mm -hmm. it's not the most fun experience sitting and playing for six hours. I've never enjoyed those marathon games.
1: And I think that also ties into, like, the third edition people are also the the more time people, aren't they? They're the same yeah, yeah, generation. Yeah, so I think there's a kind of, like, it's like being in a music scene. It's not just the mm-hmm. one band that or, like, the one yeah. album that you're into. It's this kind of general thing of actually that's a point where Specialist Games is doing some quite interesting mm-hmm. stuff and you've got, yeah, time yeah. and Necromunda are sort of sloshing around and that buoys up the central products at the same time and you're like oh yeah this is a this is a thing that I'm quite into so you know yeah. that late 90s moment i bet if that was the moment yeah. you were coming into it i bet it was quite it was quite exciting and well you know
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah for me it was like i really like the time when i went deep into mm. it and also for many uh, fantasy battle 6th edition it also had the same kind of yeah. like streamlining. You got the slightly more grimdark. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like over the top yet in fantasy, but you didn't have like King Arthur uh, fighting lizard people. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like this going for the more European... Uh, yeah, the, hero- the, the Mordheim style. effect,
1: isn't it? That kind of heroism. Yeah, exactly. bo- the, the Boschification of, of everything in the in the setting worked quite well. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it was a fun time for many. I understand why people are more like some are more like, oh, I love the eighties and like third edition. I bet there are people who are even really into fantasy first edition. Mm-hmm. Although having once looked at the rules, I was kind of like, no, please. <laughs> I think there's just there's
1: not quite enough stuff. For people to be really like, they, they, the second edition came out so quickly, I understand, yeah. after first edition that it never really got kind of anything that kind of thematically you could get your teeth into. Um, whereas second edition, you had all of those campaign packs, you had like mm. um, Mac- yeah. MacDeath and Tragedy of the um, Terror terror of the lich master and all of that kind of yeah that kind of thing and it had that like, you begin to develop a setting and a game and a and a thing that you're engaging with so yeah there yeah, are there, there people for whom that's their, that's their thing and there were people who were meant to be playing terror of the lich master at Boyle last year you know this yeah. year you know so
0: people still keep yeah. that flame that flame alive my friend kari uh, has been slowly getting the whole, I think, both terror and revenge of the master, Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of pushing him to, like, hey, we should get this old hammer thing here in Finland Mm -hmm. uh, for next year. So hopefully we'll get to play it then. He has them, and he's a really great painter, been building terrain, Mm -hmm. but he's like, yeah, yeah, but so many projects. He also (laughs) want to play, like, Battle at the Farm and everything, and I'm just like, so my,
1: my plan for next year's Bring Out Your Lead is I'm going to do... Terror of the Gene Master. And I'm going to okay. rework um, Terror of the Lich Master with yeah. Rattlings as the humans okay. <laughs> and Gene Stealer Cult as the, oh. the undead. And the idea being is that the, the ship with the patriarch in it has crash landed mm-hmm. in the mountains. And you yeah. play the kind of linked scenarios where you try to wipe out all of the villagers before they can warn anybody. That there's this crash mm-hmm. spaceship, and in the end, you play a kind of a, a rattling versus um, versus Gene Staler's kind of like um, battle at the like battle at the the village thing version yeah. with a version of the everything from Lichmaster with a Magus instead of um, what's he called Kelmer, the yeah. I, and um, and the Gene Stealer Patriarch instead of Krell the the Chaos Warrior yeah. and. I, yeah, I, ah, that sounds amazing. I, I think <laughs> I like it's not too many models, and I the more, and I've yeah. got a thing of the more people I tell about it, the more I have to mm-hmm. I will then have to kind of produce it. So I'm putting it onto the podcast now, and then hopefully yeah, in a year time it will exist.
0: Yeah. positive pressure. Mm-hmm. I like have to do it now. Uh, speaking of gene stealers, there was this one short story you took up on your podcast about the gene stealer. Getting like wiped out from their base, and then slowly spreading and like fleeing. Uh, I don't remember if it even had a title.
1: Mm. But oh, that, that short
0: story was amazing.
1: Is it the one where it's it's told from the point of view of the patriarch? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was in it's uh, in White Dwarf one one eight, and the, the title is just they give him like a Latin name. I can't remember what it is now, but yeah, mm. they they were obsessed with gene stealers for a while. Yeah. As being the, me- they didn't have any genuinely frightening antagonists to present mm-hmm. in the short fiction. Um In yeah. and around th- so often the go-to baddie, the interesting baddie, was gene stealers. So there's just all of this like for probably about six months to a year. They're like, yeah, and these guys are fighting gene stealers, and there was all of this interest about it. But I am can told- there some like connection to the alien?
0: Movies. Yeah, did they
1: come I think, out roughly? Yeah, so the, the I think Alien came out a bit earlier, but mm. what had come out just before that wave is Space Hulk. So Space Hulk sold really well, and loads and loads ah. of people would have had twenty Gene Stealers in their in yeah their yeah collection. yeah. So which was enough, like uh, which was enough for a thousand point army, and they released an army list that was mm. just pure strain Gene Stealers. So I think there was a real moment where they were really where they thought like this is a way of kind of like drawing people into the hobby. We're really going to push this. I think it's also to do with the setting that yeah there wasn't the same thing of like there of like a chaos army that you would be that you would be facing off against and fighting. The only mm-hmm. antagonistic army that you could imagine that was actually represented on the tabletop was gene stealers. You know yeah. And they also I guess when you when in the fiction, they because they're inside human society, they, they let you tell a story about a character doing something that isn't just yeah. and then I fired my bolter at another orc and he died and then I hid and then sure. I jumped at, So there's a, you know there's more of a kind of like narrative potential in that. but yeah I also I heard that that event that was squashed by somebody in Games Workshop. And that apparently oh, there goodness. was somebody in the design team who really disliked Gene Steeler cults and that mm-hmm. they therefore didn't make, like they kind of fell back into the background in second edition
0: and kind of got pushed out of yeah. the way. I won, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit... It seems like a shame because, uh, I mean, they're really popular these days when, as you said, Games Workshop brings back everything mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And uh, especially that short story which finishes up on them Like the patriarch feeling, the web just spreading out of like everlasting dynasties Mm -hmm. of them. It was really like, hey, whoa, this could have been really cool. It was was almost like, I want to paint, you know, some gene stealers now. And usually I don't really like that, especially not the tyrannids, which I think are just like, I think they're just slightly boring as Mm -hmm. a faction. But. The gene steal, like the corruption inside. Of course, it's very Lovecraftian in many ways, like <laughs> the whole like bad blood taking over, and
1: yeah, and like there's, there's, there's very yeah, there's very very much a um, what's it called uh, an Innsmouth feel to them, isn't there? The, yeah. Um, but I think the the really interesting thing about them as well is maybe they're right. Maybe like gene stealers treat each other with love and affection. Yeah. Yeah. Gene stealers stealers treat uh, like, you know, they they work collectively for a goal, but Mm -hmm. they care about one another and try and protect one another, which is not really what the Imperium does. And I think one of the reasons that they come back to them is uh, they um, is the idea that maybe actually. These guys are, you know, this is long before you have like, this is th- that thing of like, no baddies in, no goodies in 40K. Mm. Um, and I think there is a thing of like, maybe the gene stealers have kind of got a point, or maybe they demonstrate character traits that the Imperium lacks, positive character traits that the Imperium lacks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and like people have returned to that in modern writing as well, that actually maybe the gene stealers have, have kind of, have kind of got a point. But I think it was yeah. it was something that they were kind of playing around with at that time, this idea that actually maybe they're having mm-hmm. quite a nice time because they get to experience like love and affection, which seems to be really missing from the from the 40k Definitely universe. Definitely
0: lacking, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did those chain stealers were they already connected to the Tyranids? That's or a or really, really interesting question.
1: Questions, is and the answer is as far as I can make out, no. They appear in Rogue Trader as a separate species. Um, yeah. And I think they link them when when um, Advanced Space Crusade is launched, which was a, mm. the thing that like created those plastic Tyranids and the the image of the Tyranid as a kind of upright, standing, six-armed, bo- like, oh, yeah. <laughs> bone-sword-wielding guy. And I think they they retcon them into it. But they must have been talking about it when that fiction was written because that, that story mm-hmm. comes out only two years before, no, less than that, only, only just over a year before they released, like, Advanced here, mm-hmm. Space Cruise. Yeah, yeah, so, so there must so, have been some. So I connection. always wonder if that, that, when when the patriarch is kind of feeling the memory of, like, this stuff out in the web, I wonder if they're, they're dropping seeds for the idea of um, yeah. this thing. Although I listened to a thing on... Jordan Sorcery's YouTube channel the other day, where he says a games workshop writing technique is to write things in that sound like mysterious hints and then yeah. to add, explain what the mysterious hint is later when actually when you wrote it, you had no idea. So it could easily have I've been... I've heard
0: the same, yeah. yeah I, think was, I think it was Thomas Pirinan who said that... Yeah, that's right. It's in stuff that sounds cool, like the gates of whatever... Like something lies beyond the gates of the north or something like that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We Now we can always go back to it if we need it. Otherwise, it's just a little bit of tidbit mm-hmm. in the background. And I think that's quite clever when you don't know how long the team is going to stay around, but you still have the product that needs yeah. to grow. It, yeah, for and sure. continue. So yeah, that's... But it also makes like... Just slightly going back to Gene Steelers, it also makes them more interesting. Like they're not gonna call down, you know, their masters to eat you. They just wanna, you know, mate with you, which might not be the most fun experience, perhaps, but afterwards, you know, you're part of a loving family. Mm, yeah, I think. Or yeah, like the idea of
1: the idea of like how they might not accept being eaten, I think, is probably mm. like I'd have preferred it if it was like that. There's a there's a modern oh my gosh the name has gone now. There's a modern novel about the um, about the gene stealer cult that kind of really yeah. imp- imp- implies that the the gene stealers want the the tyranids to turn up. And I yeah I think it would yeah. it's more interesting when they don't really have a concept of them and they're kind of yeah they're operating yeah, exactly.
0: in their own kind of their own kind of um, hive mind instinct. Yeah. Another one of these uh, old factions that I made a return is the Squats. And, uh, I mean, back in Rogue Trader, the Squats were a really odd little group of bikers. And, <laughs> like, every- well, everyone was a little bit odd then. But as far as I can tell, the Squats were kind of like good guys. Well, this is one of my, my kind of operating
1: theories, is that Squats were effectively functioned as the audience surrogates in Mm. Warhammer fiction. The Squats have got the worldview, which is closest to our own. Um, And they kind of, they reportedly, in the world of the 41st millennium, they have a psychology that resembles 20th century humans more than any Mm. others. They don't, for example, believe that, technology is magical they have a, an actual understanding of how technology works they yeah. don't or they have like a system of ancestor worship but that's not it, it functions much more like religion in the world of like modern people today yeah. and you compare that to the kind of the characters that you meet in um, in uh the like the the 40k stories who live in this yeah. terrifying kind of death theocracy and mm. squats are way more like us um yeah and they and like I, well i've you know I wrote a, a post on the oldhammer forum a, a while ago on the Hammer Facebook groups a while ago mm. about what I thought made like row trade of the setting that it is and I think that's that's one of the things that they are that they're that you weren't being asked to use space marines as your point of view characters quite as Mm -hmm. much back then and i think whether you know games workshop loves to say ah ah we are there's no good guys in 40k and the you know the space marines are all terrible but the fact of the matter is is we are encouraged to kind of be like oh to sort of strongly identify with space marine chapters all of the computer games some some of them very enjoyable in which the um you know you are a space marine and you are clearly encouraged to have kind of like all like um you know main character empathy with with space marines now um and obviously that's been developed in a really sophisticated way in the in the horace heresy series it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. a bad a bad thing
0: but yeah, I mean, from like a narrative point, there is a lot to do with the Space yeah. Marines. Like, they're not that one-sided as they can perhaps at times appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've done a they've done a good job with it, definitely. Yes. But I think
1: they were less. E- like one of the things that people said when they were invited to write for 40k, so they were well, all of these stories were written by people from, with apart from Bill King, people outside of games workshop and again and again mm-hmm. people looked at the imagery in rogue trader and they looked at the fat character of space marines and they're like how do you write a story about these people how do you tell a story mm-hmm. about like a hypnotized like maximum violence now guy and uh, you know they, and you can argue yeah. them if you said they were wrong but like the initial reaction in like 1988 1999 1990 was like how on earth does one does one write in that universe um and I think this it is notable that Ian Watson puts a squat into the Inqui- into the Inquisitor stories. Mm-hmm. He puts them into warp stars, and it's a guy standing there going like, Wow, this is really silly, isn't it? What are you all talking yeah. about? You know, he's like almost like a fool in Shakespeare who's like going like, look <laughs> at the, these ridiculous people. Um yeah. And they, they are there to kind of like they, they function to puncture the um the kind of the what's the the monoculture of the imperium because mm-hmm. they're people who yeah. are inside the imperium but not necessarily of the imperium and that allows True. for that kind of that kind of commentary, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah and I mean like uh, some of the early black library books I think it was Bill King who wrote about Ragnar Blackman from Mm -mm. Space Wolves. Yeah. And it takes away a lot of the, like, psychotic parts of it and makes them much more human. Because, like, as you said, you know, how do you write a story about a a child soldier Mm -hmm. pumped up on drugs and hypnotized to be, like, hyper-violent? It's like you take the head, like... uh, head henchman from an 80s action movie and be like, we just want to focus on this bad guy as the hero. That's not what they're there for. Yeah. Is it? And I think yeah, that you so know, they've um, changed it there. And like those that, that they were
1: that kind of initial transformation, weren't they? Those kind of like like that Space Marine list that I think that Space Wolves rather list that came out mm-hmm. before um second edition was released and you have yeah. these kind of They really lean into these guys are Vikings. You guys like Vikings, (laughs) right? And then like, and you get, you know, all of those things that people believe about Vikings, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of like, oh, there's a culture of honor and martial brotherhood and and masculine comradeship and all of this type of stuff. And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough,
0: kind of thing. It's very um, much the like national romantic, yeah, play, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. 19th century. Kind I think of, that's like, that's, hey, a, this is. that's a really
1: interesting point is that they then that kind of heralds a thing where they then go, okay, we're going to be like weirdly obsessed with real world human cultures ported onto mm-hmm. 40K for a bit. So you yeah. get the Praetorians. You get the, um, you know, the uh, the, um, the the Valhallans and you get all of these people who are like yeah. versions of real world cultures. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, uh, people would disagree with me about this, but I think one of my most uncomfortable um, moments in engaging with, with Warhammer stuff is when they go, yeah, so there's a Praetorian faction and also <laughs> who are like British people in pith helmets and they're going to mm. fight Zulu, and the Zulus yeah. are the orcs. And you know, there's been a long history of Games Workshop having like savage orcs who are people with like bones through their noses and all of that type yeah. of thing. But it's like, dude, with hindsight, what exactly yeah. <laughs> what are you getting into? I'm going. I'm at some point in like the not too distant future, I'm going to do a-, a reading of War Orcs, which is oh. the um. The, they were so weird that they did it they did a, a a background book that was pure background on the culture of orcs there were no rules there were just images mm. and fiction and explanation of what orc culture was like
0: and yeah i remember those i don't have them but they are a bit odd, aren't they? Mm. There's and nothing like similar for a No, and, then, and that, yeah, so. and they and they ended up releasing
1: a pure background book and then two army books just about <laughs> orcs, which repeated a lot of information. But the I'm I and I I can't think who it was. It might have been Andy Chambers who looked at all of that and said we made a mistake. These mm-hmm. orcs are too funny, too silly. We want them to be these kind of like terrifying monsters who can you can shoot with yeah, a gun and they keep on coming. And I don't know if you remember, but that Praetorian article where they did like a scenario that was like, I'm going, I, people will be shouting this at the podcast, just like I shout at podcasts <laughs> when people can't remember things that I know the answer to. But they did this thing where it was like a, a version of the film Zulu and they changed yeah. the orcs so that they were Weapon Skill 2, Weapon Skill 4, BS 2. Uh rather than being yeah. like Weapon skill 3, BS 3, and mm. like, like human beings. And this was like this kind of yeah. like turning moment where mm. orcs went from being the, the, war, the war orcs orcs to being the orcs that we know about today, I would argue.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah, it's probably true. Took a while for it to like fully evolve yeah. into the weird savages there yeah. now. But
1: and but and I think there's a there's a weird once again talking about who is happy in the Warhammer universe. I think there's a mm-hmm. real thing going back to war orcs that makes the case that orcish philosophy is the optimum philosophy for surviving in, in 40k. <laughs> and there's a whole thing that I'm going to talk about about like they've got a if you look at the faces of the orcs. In all of those Paul Bonner drawings, in wild mm. orcs,
0: they're having fun. They
1: are content. They yeah. are content. They and and often they are suffering, but they are content. So there's a weird yeah. kind of like Zen Buddhist feel mm. to orcish culture that they that yeah. kind of came out. You know, these are the things that really excite me about about what I I write about, and what I talk about, it, because mm. there's this evolutionary process. Um, that's, yeah. that's kind of going on in this period. If you go back to 1986, barely anything of the Warhammer setting as we understand it today exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you mm-hmm. flash forward to really, so let's say 1991, yeah, the Warhammer world is recognizable as the one that people are playing in in 2023. There's a Cambrian explosion of ideas that occurs in a sort of five-year period. And from that kind of this huge evolutionary rush, all of these ideas emerge that create the Warhammer world. And it's really exciting to look at that kind of mutation and evolution process that goes on goes, oh, wow, yeah. look at this that didn't uh, kind of appeared and then went away. Look at that thing that, that happened. Look at that, that that's here still in some ways, but not in others. And I just find it yeah. as a meditation on on the kind of creative and world-building process, I find it really fascinating. I think it's it's really, really interesting. And I guess... That's- yeah, I
0: mean, that's kind of like the age where you get huge Norse armies. You get an absurd amount of, like, Nippon, and especially the Ninias, which... I'm still baffled that they made, like, 20 Mimias. But there's a lot of these kind of, like, ideas just, like, tossed out there. Like, hey, I want to sculpt
1: this. I want to write this. Do you know know what what the story of the Fimia is? Why they came into being? Yeah, I think I've heard it, but please tell for our listeners. So, basically, there was an idea that... Games Workshop or Citadel needed to have, Warhammer, I suppose, needed to have its own creatures. They needed to have Mm -hmm. things that were purely from their own world. Um, Yeah. um, And and rather than being reflections of generic fantasy types, it's not enough to have orcs and elves. There's got to be something. And the equivalent that gets given is the RuneQuest had Brew, which were like these kind of like beastmen kind of guys, um, yeah. And they get set, and the design team gets set to work on developing what are these things going to be, and they come up yeah. with zotes and phimia, and they write I up. Phimia was a better choice than yeah. zotes, but I don't
0: like the zotes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and the 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 Fimier are designed. They've got this background based on Celtic mythology, um, mm-hmm. and two things happen that doom them the first yeah. is that they decide that they're going to reproduce purely through the rape Ooh. of human beings
0: yeah. and if I'm you look under
1: at the meeting where they were like yeah. guys what did we do yeah but i guess it uh, in the context of the time it's like it doesn't that doesn't appear on the battlefield you're not necessarily going to be mm-hmm. describing it it's a fact that reflects kind of i like european ideas about stealing trolls stealing women and all of this type of thing. It's you know—it's grounded in mythology, but it's not going to do very well when you oh, pull up that big red box and get your your goblins and high elves out and your mum's yeah. looking at what you're reading about in, um, in fourth edition fantasy. So that's one problem. But really they mm-hmm. died before that because there was an error in their design process where they were statted mm-hmm. up to be – models on a 25 um, millimeter base like a like an orc but then when they when they were made they were made like ogres so they are models with uh, yeah, with, yeah. with orc stats on ogre bases so that they can't and more expensive is way way, way more expensive and, and not very good in a fight so nobody <laughs> people realize this and nobody bought them. So they kind of and obviously people, you know, as, as with ever, all of these things, people become obsessed with the stuff which nobody bought. So people yeah. are really, really obsessed with those with them now, and you know, they, they command mm-hmm. very, very high prices, and they've been re-released in new forms, but they were a yeah. weird like and it just it also, I think it shows how kind of seat of the pant, pants everything was done that they kind of like rattled these things into existence and nobody said, wait a minute, these Mm -hmm. rules and this model doesn't measure up. There was no kind of like quality control going on.
0: Um, Yeah. No like general master. Yeah. 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 And it just,
1: and it just came out because I suppose the feeling was is at that moment, loads of other things were happening as well. We've made these 20 models. It's they're not even an army. They don't have a kind of, There's not a blister pack backing for Fimir. They're just like, you know, they're an element of it, but they were Games Workshop's initial swing at having their own distinct race. I think probably as well, in the in in that's kind of something that came out with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and Warhammer Fantasy Battle third edition. So you're talking sort of 86, 87, and within two years they've come up really clearly with the concept of chaos and all of that chaos imagery all of that ian miller chaos imagery um, all of uh, you know all of that kind of like the concept of the four gods has kind of settled in mm-hmm. and that's become the thing that games workshop is, uh, that warhammer can go ah this is our our usp is this more cocky and kind of cosmos that we've invented so the need yeah, for like a, a special type more, of weird guy kind of falls yeah.
0: away and more punk in many ways, like they can go full-on crazy with the chaos mm. uh, champions. They can be, they don't have to be like, hey, you're all these kind of lizard looking guys that just, you know, wobble around and just warm. Yeah. Like they think they, yeah, I guess there's,
1: it definitely tied into like the metal aesthetic that would have been a thing in, yeah. in like in the late 19, 19- and yeah, captures a kind of a, a zeitgeist as well. And I think one of the things I talk a lot about in the podcast, is the 1980s and nuclear war and the way that ideas about chaos really feed into nuclear anxiety. What has happened... That's definitely true. Yeah, like... So if you think about that, like, there has been some sort of, like, terrible disaster at the northern mm-hmm. the northern poles of the world. Somewhere yeah. or, or up to the north of where we live, a terrible, like technological collapse has happened and slowly but surely the the radiation what else is it but like
0: mutating
1: radiation is flowing towards us and all we can do is watch and that's yeah. Chernobyl
0: it is I mean yeah. definitely you know, that, yeah. that's, that's yeah,
1: yeah, that, like ramped up Chernobyl anxiety so I think yeah. you know we which again is why I'm so interested in these stories and 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 the kind of setting of this period is it's nuclear anxiety, it's post-Vietnam mm. cultural anxiety, you know. I think yeah. that space marines, first edition Rogue Trader space marines, are a reflection and thinking about the Vietnam War to a greater or lesser extent. The idea of these guys being mm. like, you know, put rogue trader next to full metal jacket. And you can see yeah. rare, like parallels. I, I don't. Obviously, it's made by a bunch of guys in Nottingham in the Midlands. None of them are in Vietnam, but they're definitely yeah, but picking still... up on the the cultural backwash. Yeah, of, exactly. Of, of that that war. This... And not
0: to and not to forget the Soviet invasion of, of Afghanistan. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Soviet was still a superpower. You never mm. knew. You know. When the Cold War was going to turn absolutely and it's suddenly it, hot,
1: and that's a thing Brian Ansell talks about as well. People like he he talks about how um, the 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 Iran Iraq War, and mm. um, he says like you know they they sent teenagers on scooters to drive through minefields to kind of so yeah. like what, why is what I'm proposing in 40k not a reflection of our world rather than some
0: kind of like, you know, gross revelry and violence. Yeah, no, there's definitely all that very much going on. Uh, One thing I was, I was recently bought the fourth edition army book for the Skaven. And I think they were, I mean, I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons player. I guess they are like rat men Mm. in those books. I, I wouldn't know. But I think the Skaven is also one of those brilliant Warhammer races that just works on a very basic level. You have rats (laughs) that are... I mean, nobody really likes rats. Those who like rats are, no offense, but slightly odd. Yeah. And uh, they are already like this creeping, uh, disease-spreading threat in the cities. And then you turn them slightly more human, but keeping all the worst traits I think like the Skaven were probably also one of those. Yeah. Ideas where, Like we need something that's definitely not going to be, nobody's going to point at Tolkien. I was like, oh, but hey, Aragorn fought the rats.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's very true. And it kind of, they then become the main baddies in advanced Hero Quest. And that mm. just generates a load of art. Like that yeah. kind of, uh, that means that they really get kind of like, they get the Just Goodwin sketchbook treatment, and all of a sudden yeah. you open up white. I think it's white dwarf one one nine, and you're like, oh wow, this is the background to the Skaven. Although actually that had that had been in the Citadel Journal earlier. They'd kind of released oh. them through the the Citadel Journal because there's a as yeah. a scenario of. Um, the Lichmaster versus Skaven, isn't there? Um, oh yeah, that's yeah. the
0: revenge. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Where they fight some monks as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that, and that's when they get their first kind of their first kind of outing. So yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think they, like, and obviously there are precedents for intelligent rat people that live in and a sort of like scavenging, scavenging lifestyle of human beings. Mm-hmm. In in fantasy elsewhere, you know, there's yeah. the, the rats of Nim and stuff like that. But I don't, probably mm-hmm. not, in the same way, in like in in like like pure fantasy writing, and not with that yeah. kind of developed culture.
0: At the same yeah, time. Not, not the steampunk kind of like mm. guns and gas and all, all that fun. Yeah, I've been, like I think the skaven were pretty early, a very solid design. They just kind of like they didn't have any radical changes. They mm. just evolved. Like yeah. you got the Ninias and uh, pest, what are called the plague rats. And yeah, and it, I think it's already like all of that is there early. And they it? get they get the and they
1: get that thing which becomes really popular as they go oh here's this faction and within the faction there's all of these sub factions. So yeah. do you like Clan Moulder? Do you like Clan Pestilens? Do you like you know mm-hmm. um. So, yeah, that's absolutely uh, a thing. Really interestingly, though, I don't think they appear in any of the fiction that I'm covering. I think Mm. what's really like the place where we would normally kind of cut off the the Warhammer novels, they don't appear in any of that fiction at all. Nobody seems to have picked them up as being interesting, which is really peculiar. I've never thought about that. But then Bill King picks them up in what I think about as being like almost the first of the Black Library writings and the things that are going to be in Inferno when he creates, yeah. um, oh, my God, what's the? the
0: Tranquil? The yeah, Tranquil? Tranquil, yeah.
1: And all of, and he like creates that. them like this kind of like this arch nemesis yeah. for Gotrek and Felix. But I always think about that being a sort of, there's a big gap between
0: yeah.
1: Red Thirst being released in 1990, which is a dark beneath the world, and then that comes mm. out years later. And I think yeah. that's almost an, you know, a returning to these characters and it's, it's part of that, that new age. That's really yeah. why were people... I'll tell you why I think people don't pick it up is because yeah. nobody gave them books that had that information in it. Mm-hmm. I think that if you look at the Skaven, they get a little like side chart... In, yeah. the, in the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay rulebook in The Best Story and in Warhammer Fantasy Battle. And I think these yeah. authors were given Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Warhammer Fantasy Battle possibly, and the Realm of Chaos yeah. books to look at. And you yeah. can tell who didn't bother to read the Realm of Chaos books and just read <laughs> the main rulebook and was like, oh, that's fine. Oh, I'll, I'll piece yeah. it together from there. But the Skaven like they're there as a type of creature but they're yeah. not they, they don't go hey would you be interested in these being like you know these mm-hmm. are really good opponents and if you think yeah. they don't they don't really crop up as bad guys in any of the warhammer fantasy role play um supplement so they've
0: they've all but it seemed like they would have been such a good you know they're there under the cities
1: yeah, yeah. I and mean, they're I such an obvious, obvious one they, they turn up as like creatures and as part of there's a skaven in the warband of um that the the guys of chasing in ig- the ignorant armies yeah there's like oh, yeah. a skaven in a warband but they just yeah. don't seem to have picked up on this idea that they've got their whole other culture and this whole mm. other thing that they're doing so yeah i yeah. i think it's to do with the source materials that they're working with is that you've got given the rule books you got given the the Empire Within campaign. Loads of them write yeah. about Middenheim like it's really important because there was a <laughs> book that was City of Chaos. And it's like, here's a description okay. of all of the streets of Middenheim. I, so people are, I have that book, it's yeah. a lovely book, but it's very odd. Like, hey, here's people were clearly, oh shit, like clearly Middenheim's important, yeah? Um, yeah. and then you've got Realm of Chaos. And people are clearly inspired by all of these things, but you'd have yeah. to be an actual war gamer. To be like, oh, the Skaven have got like vibes that seem to be important, um, yeah. and only and only Bill King actually played the games. As far as I can make, oh care. yeah,
0: that's true. Wasn't he originally a game
1: designer? He was in the studio. I don't. I can't. Yeah. I think he was already writing fiction mm. for the studio. He does a
0: lot of the old stories, mm, like,
1: yeah, by Bill King. Yeah, and he kind of and he kind of like he kind of like. He's involved with the Warhammer novels, and then yeah. survive, or, the, or do they recruit him for the Warhammer novels, and then he cl- he was playing it anyway.
0: Because I, God, I, I think I don't know, but a funny thing is uh, in the second edition Space Wolf Codex, he plays uh, if I remember correctly. There's a battle report yeah. in the Codex because. They apparently didn't know what a codex was at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the players there, which I thought was kind of fun to see. Yeah, He
1: is he's there, he's in the in the studio, he writes yes. and, uh, by the time you get to um Lost in the Damned, the second book, um, the second Realm of Chaos book, most of the mm-hmm. fiction in that is being written by um, people who are actually in the studio: Rick Priestley writes something, Bill King writes a Gotrek and Felix thing, and that initial "The Emperor versus Horus" um, that mm. initial piece of, fa- like, so it's yeah. all by they. It's all being done by people who seem to be um, a- around the studio at that time. They had a table. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, and then he picks up that actually, Skaven are a big deal.
0: Yeah. Uh was the Conrad trilogy part of the like original books or is that the a black library? No. Book? The the Conrad trilogy
1: is part of the um it was released as part of the second wave of the fiction. And that's got a Skaven in it, hasn't it? That's got I have a
0: feeling. It that does, the first yeah. not, has I, I have it to is.
1: admit that I've never read the Conrad trilogy. I'm going to have to like I, it's I like think the first one is it's a, odd it's a year away that I'm gonna to get to it so I'm I, I, I'm allowed yeah. to plead ignorance but you're right it does have scaven in it but it's very yeah, yeah it, it's it was when I was kind of like initially finding out about the books I'd read I'd have not read storm warriors which is a last Brian Craig book and I'd not surprisingly read surprisingly erotic. yeah and I'd not read <laughs> I'd not read any of the the fairing stuff because I'd heard that it was not
0: very good. I'd heard that it was a bit adolescent hack and slash. It is a bit like Conrad. I've only read the first one, and it's not a bad story. It's a weird story Mm. in many ways. There's also the sexuality, which I think is kind of like something they shoved aside for later books. There's not that much like uh, physical love. But that one also has these like, Chaos Warband consists of, you know, orcs and beast men mm. and everything is all together. Yeah. It's not just later, like... You, you don't see the game. No, that's that's very Realm of Chaos. Or... That's how Realm yeah, yeah. of Chaos as Yeah, Yeah, but I think it's... It's an interesting one because, again, like uh, the main character's mentor has a wolf tattooed on his face. Mm. Like a wolf's face. Yeah. I remember and this. And it's yeah. just like... Very strange. And I was just like, yeah, that's kind of like out there as a concept. Mm. But hey, that's cool stuff. Like, let's go with it. They were very much, again, this kind of like proto hammer where mm. they're kind of like allowed to do things. Yeah. And I
1: think the thing I rem- I've remembered reading about Ferring was that they, they were all given the brief of imagine yes. you're writing for an 18-year-old, for an intelligent mm. 18-year-old and ferring makes the choice that he's going to have an 18-year-old protagonist and mm-hmm. then you he's yeah. going this guy is going to learn about the warhammer world like and i think and i think sometimes i think that approach ends up sometimes it works really well um, mm-hmm. you've got books like The Other, which I thought was really, really good. The story like The Other, which has got an 18-year-old as a central character. But sometimes I think the idea that you want, like, I'm 18, so I want the protagonist to be 18, and I want him to be, like, about to embark upon an amazing adventure where he fights people with a sword. Um, It has that
0: kind of like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, that kind of – and 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 it's
1: a slightly adolescent fantasy. Um yeah you know the the series wrestles with the problem of sigma as well like i know i know a bit about what happens in um in the conrad trilogy and yeah. the and there are an enormous number of people who end up being imbued with the with the spirit of sigma um yeah yeah you know, that's relative definitely. to the relative to the population and it's not yeah. really um investigated what that means and it ends up being. Oh, well, a little it's not bit something of a, you a cop out. I think at times. Yeah,
0: you don't really see that in other in other Warhammer fiction. Mm. Yeah, that much. I mean, Sigmar is mentioned like uh, in your latest episode. You started reading Drakenfeld. That's right. Yes. And uh, we read it on on our pod mm-hmm. uh, a year ago or so, and it's also kind of funny because I mean, Jackie will Kim Newman. You can obviously tell he's having fun writing this stuff and not taking it too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the book starts with kind of this veteran Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting all wiped out. And it's just like, and now we're going to do a play about this. <laughs> and it's such an odd choice. Yeah, and it's
1: like, it's yeah, it's very, it owes a lot. And something I'm going to talk about, it owes a lot to Terry Pratchett. It owes a lot to this kind of melding of... Is this early modern? Is it actually early mm-hmm. industrial in its kind of in its setting? It's a kind of mushing together of of time yeah. periods in an in an odd sort of way. Although obviously it's kind I of. I was late, gonna
0: but... ask you about that actually, the Pratchett thing, because I got this strong feeling of it's kind of like the vampire Lestat is traveling in ankh Markball. Yeah. Because uh Genevieve, Genevieve Genevieve, however yeah. it's pronounced. She's very much an Anne Rice, yeah, absolutely. And then she's in this silly setting where, like, one of the characters is a dwarf, but he's not a dwarf; he's just a you know, I don't know what the term is in English Um, for, like, short person, a a little person. Like they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they, and then he's like, oh, his parents always had to explain, like, no, we don't have a dwarf servant; we have a little person son. So it's kind of like a weird slapstick. Well, right. so I've got there's a couple of things to, to say
1: about about that phenomenon. Is I think that with that kind of like that weird absurdist setting, I th- or the absurdities yeah. of that, I think that partly that stems from an interest in class. I think Jack Yeovil is in Jack, Kim Newman is interested in in the role of class. So is Bill King actually. I think, you know, Felix Yeager yeah. is involved involved in a in a kind of street protest that go that goes wrong. Yeah, and true. I think they, they and, and they're being written in the nineteen eighties, which is, you know, a time in which kind of young, kind of vaguely punk adjacent people would have had a big sense of kind of class conflict and stuff like that in the UK. Yeah. And I think there's a weird thing of cl- of like the importance of class and the challenging of like existing modes of production and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that consequently, you have like some kind of like prodding at the absurdity of fantasy tropes. As a stand-in yeah. for kind of like the, the ruling class, don't you? I guess yeah. I think mean, there's there's elements yeah. of that that within it, and that's that and that's obviously a Pratchett thing as well. Um, yeah, I think the other that particular thing about the um, the dwarf, uh, the who isn't actually a dwarf, is yeah. that it. Them people flag that this thing about mutation is really weird. Where there's a moment in, like, what, what, what makes somebody a mutant or what makes yeah. somebody um, uh, just kind of different but within the norm? There's a bit in the yeah. other when somebody goes, where they kind of talk about the idea well, how could an extreme physical characteristic, at what point does that become a mutation? How do you yeah. know somebody's a, a you know, how, how tall do I have to be before I'm, do I have, I have the mutation very tall? And that's yeah. the and that character, is, like, is a thing of like him being well. Is he? You know, there's a thing of his like his shortness is is a mutation. Mm-hmm. So true. What does that What does that mean? What does it mean to be mutant? Shouldn't our mutant characters yeah. be be sympathetic? And I think that you know that's something that that Yeovil does really really well. Um, and again, asking us to kind of have sympathy for characters who would normally like what what do mutants exist for in fourth edition you stab them with your sword yeah, yeah. they're going to de- you know and i think that's almost a pratchettian thing as well To go, these people that you mm. normally would despise well they've got their own their own lives they've got things that are kind yeah. of going on with them you they could be tragic characters but they are people mm. is a kind of yes. a humanism
0: to to it that i think uh oh, makes it feel—it's kind of
1: like as well.
0: challenging the players a bit. Yeah, you? yeah, like, yeah, hey, absolutely. They're not just here for you to get XP. To, yeah, if, and I there's think, more to it, and
1: it is a re- because it's the idea of of corruption, of madness, of disease. You mm-hmm. know, all of all of these things, which are kind of like um things that make people social outcasts. You know, I think yeah. a lot about you know if you want to draw more parallels. These books are also being written, really, in the teeth of the AIDS crisis. And if you look, at, I was going to mention that. You know, yeah. if you look at the the kind of the idea of like the mutant as outcast, you can see mm-hmm. the, like the queering of the mutant is a real thing. Yeah. Like,
0: You know. Um, Have you read the follow-up book? I don't remember its name, but it's basically stage, uh, um, it's in the, of the Oprah Yeah,
1: uh, stage blood. Yeah, yeah. Got, I read it years and ago, and I'm just going back
0: to it as I prepare. It's, this it's really good. I read it just for love, but I, I really enjoyed mm. it. And it also has this theme of, like, you don't have to be evil just because you're mutant. Mm. And, like, overall mutation is a very uh, – it's probably because of the Realm of Chaos books. But it's a very constant thing, I find, in these old uh, books. Yeah. Like mutation and slan are two slightly <laughs> odd obsessions, yeah. which I find enjoyable, but they are slightly strange, yeah. aren't they? Like, but it, it probably comes down to the realm of chaos books, as you mentioned, because aren't the slan kind of explored there? Um, as well, well,
1: very, very briefly, the origin, the slan have got the a origin. slightly earlier origin point. They kind of, mm-hmm. um, they, they're the in the kind of opening scenario of second edition. But the slam were just a pun. Mm. They were they begin life as just a pun because
0: they are they are they are based on. Do you have the book Chariot of the Gods? It's one of those weird, like alien visitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So alien alien visitors come to Earth and they teach people to build.
1: The, um, mm-hmm. the the pyramids, and that's why yeah, we, that's, why we, that's, that's why we have pyramids all over the and, and some. Yeah. And, and it seems like somebody just went, "Hey, hey, chariots of the frogs."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I think you're probably quite you right. I mean?
1: Because why? Why else? You and then, like, oh, and then you get going from there. And yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a really fun idea. It's a, like, what about a world in which that. That really happened, and that's where people come from. They're really interesting yeah. in, in 40k as well. I think the idea of like you're all moving around in this universe left over by by these creatures. That's really exciting stuff. But yeah, and I think I think
0: they, they don't need a lot of sketching too. in for because yeah, no. It's even better if they're not too detailed. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Rick Priestley and Thomas Pirin has said that like the idea for Mordheim was that hey. It's almost, you know, the 2K bug. Mm. Let's make it real. So if they did that, I definitely could see, like, the people in the studio having the mentality of, like, hey, I read this really dumb book or really, like, fun book, whatever. Let's make this a part of it. And I think understanding
1: that as being... So, like, obviously, I think Warhammer in recent years has got really, really highly politicized in terms of people Mm. arguing about, like, can I use this to back up like my extreme right wing worldview world or actually is this a um, a kind of like a progressive um, forward-looking um, kind of thing mm-hmm. you know um, and particularly with things like female space Marines and there's right. a load of people trying to justify female space Marines by going ah but look at these two models that were mm. made for the adventurers line. There were meant to be female space marines and all of that. Yeah. Kind of, and then, and then that, and that thing made the rounds where they're like, oh, it was only that people didn't buy them that meant that they, or yeah. didn't buy you know, where And that's kind of been partially debunked by people who were in the, the studio at the time. But I think what people don't get about what, the studio, what that studio was like in the kind of mid '80s, is it's just people dicking about, operating mm. almost purely on instinct. Nobody's yeah. like, and I think the thing, I and pretty young people, yeah, like like bright, high, twenty-seven-year-old guys, mm. and they don't have an overarching philosophy of what they're doing they exist yes. in the sort of they are counterculturally adjacent so they've mm-hmm. got like a, a healthy suspicion for authority and government and and power as an element of a punk aesthetic but they're not a coherent philosophical standpoint so do they say progressive mm-hmm. stuff yes they do do they make kind of like political arguments that like you know do i like that Felix Jaeger is is a revolutionary. Do I think that like (laughs) there's you know stuff in there that's kind of like admirable and and I like yeah absolutely, but it doesn't come together into into a whole. Um, There's a the the thing that I always compare Warhammer to that I think is most useful for is a comedy show that we had in the UK called The Young Ones in the mid 1980s, Um, and it's got like. Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson who are like go on to be like these kind of and you've seen Rick Mail in things certainly so. and um and it's just anarchic chaotic kind of faintly mm-hmm. surreal like um purile body humor kind of things we yeah. you know it it it's got this kind of what people often refer to as like the punk alternative feel to it but it's not yeah. A political manifesto of like this is what we believe, and we believe in equal rights and all that type of stuff. And we've got just—I we, I feel like with with the history of Warhammer, you've just got to accept that that's what's going on. We can go yeah, on to make, so. to make this setting as progressive as we want it to be, to be, uh, but you can't. I think we, you can go too far in pretending that there was this kind of like original vision that was super,
0: super uniformly yeah I think like part of that comes down to the way they operate like most companies who produce creative work these days operate like you have you can't have the Horace Heresy book series of 50 plus books where every writer just does whatever they feel like you have to kind of like follow a certain plot and you assume that people back then were doing it rather than just being like hey, 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 I saw this funny thing on TV. Can I make a character out of this? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, they and kind of like it... force it to be a bit more planned mm. rather than what it yeah. was. And
1: so the... it ends up being scattershot. Um, zoo that I just mentioned mm. earlier wrote what I think yeah. is kind of one of the fundamental analytical texts of, of Old Hammer which is called When Warhammer Was Radical, The Egalitarian Origins of the the Fantasy Battle Game. And I think if I ran an undergraduate course on Warhammer, that would be one of the texts that I would set in when you were thinking about the history of Warhammer, because I think he says a load of things that sound really true. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think you can also critique what he's saying about kind of these egalitarian origins and I think the reason for that you can you can critique it is because it of this scattershot thing that people some of the yeah. time are doing and' are inspired by this and other times are inspired by that you know like and mm-hmm. it kind of comes in, like in different waves and in different moments this high like accelerated
0: evolution period throws up all of these things, yeah, I think it was. Trish who said like they didn't know how long they were gonna have work in the studio. So it was like high energy, like let's get things going all the time. Mm. Obviously they're gonna make mistakes. Like the pygmies hasn't aged very well or wasn't really very well when they were even published. But like the energy was that hey, some things are gonna be stinkers and some are gonna build a multi billion company (laughs) on so they they didn't know yeah. what they were doing and in I, that sense and like planning it out. Yeah, and so. that's true
1: of so much of it. Like I, I firmly believe that Rogue Trader caught them fully by surprise with its popularity. Mm. I think that they yeah. they released it as this weird little side project that was clearly they were gonna support it with models, but the idea was as yeah. well we use things that already exist for Judge Dread and all of that type of stuff. Mm. And they end up being completely surprised by its popularity and i think the reason that you can tell that is if you look at the warhammer siege book that was released so i think 1989 maybe a bit mm-hmm. of 1988 maybe um the warhammer siege book has a 40k section at the back which i would argue <laughs> is just going like people want Warhammer shit, man like Right, yeah. right. Up, uh, why would you write a siege game about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's um, people besieging a medieval castle, but they're all spacemen. Mm-hmm. Like you'd never. Yeah, it doesn't make much it sense. Doesn't make it much, much sense. <laughs> but clearly, they've got like wow, p- the, these plastic space marine boxes are flying off the shelves. We've got yeah. to. Can we sell one of these polystyrene castles to mm-hmm. to those guys as well? And they, I feel yeah. like you know they. Had no idea what what would work, what wouldn't work. There's this constant kind mm-hmm. of like churn of ideas, but it makes it a really interesting period to think about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like when you come to the second uh, edition of 40k again, the space marines are center stage, mm. and they never left that yeah, stage for after sure. that. They were like, okay, this is what people like. And also, you can see in the like uh, rogue trader space marines. Especially the metal ones. Some of them are kind of sad. They are they're kind of like hunched yeah. over and sl- like they don't look like they're having a jolly good time. The, co- the Corvus disappears.
1: It, the Corvus helmet looks depressed, doesn't it? And, yeah, it does. So it, it, and and like look, look at Max and um, Turnip Twenty Eight. The thing that he's picked mm. up on is that a like a, a long nosed like medieval helmet looks inherently yeah. melancholy whatever you, True. you know, and I think there's a, you know,
0: there's a real kind of like, it's, just yeah, more, you don't have to do much like having it as slightly downwards and you're a sad sack. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Or, and they always, and I, and yeah. And I think, I think I said that in the podcast at some point, but I encourage people to go back to the rogue trader book and count how often the Marines are dying in rogue trader mm-hmm. rather than killing somebody. They die more than they yeah. kill. And then when you get to second edition, it is always people blowing, like Marines killing people or much more. The, um, the, you know, that, that classic Rogue Trader front cover is a last stand
0: of Marines who are all dying. Every single My edition. understanding is that there's coming like huge bombs. in the yeah, pack, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you don't see it on the normal cover, But the,
1: right? but they're, you know they are all they are all going to die. It's a, a pointless yeah. hamburger hill Vietnam War. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to get butchered. Every yeah, and then the rogue trait the, the the Pardon the second edition guy is in the middle killing everybody, and every edition yeah. after that, the Space Marines are on top. So they you know completely reimagined them really. As yep. of these kind of like hopeless, brainwashed victims, almost. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they've come a long way, yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking oh, with you. you. Too. And I think like ending on tragic <laughs> dying space marines is the perfect way. <laughs> But uh, before I let you go, I try to always remember to ask our guests to mention a book, a movie, and a game they enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you didn't get much, you know, time to book. Like, <laughs> think of your choices. But hopefully you have some recommendation I, for
1: I do. and our listeners. So I'll start with the – I'm just checking the name of the game I'm going to recommend – there we are, I'm right about it. Okay, so I'll start with the um I'll start with the book. The book I'm going to recommend yes. is The Half Made World by Felix Gilman. Um, and I think the reason that I'm going to recommend this to your audience is that mm-hmm. it's a it feels like a game a book written for a game setting that doesn't have a game. So it okay. depicts a war that's taking place in the American West. Um, Between two rival factions, one of whom is called the Line, and they worship the god. Their gods are railway engines, who um, (laughs) and they worship these railway engines. And everybody is a kind of oppressed, kind of like um, proletarian figure trapped in a huge. You you'll see the kind of 40k parallels, like they're kind of snivelling figures trapped in a huge bureaucracy, but with these train Mm -hmm. gods. In the background, um, and then their their main rivals are a thing called the Gun, which is um, basically demons that exist within weapons uh, that are uh, that are owned by individuals, and the individual becomes yeah. superhumanly powerful, but is actually the servant of the weapon he holds. Again, you can see the kind of the Warhammer parallels there. Yeah, um, and definitely. then uh, what always interests me is that then there are individuals aligned to neither side, kind of scrabbling around in between them, trying to to live their best lives. So it's got a lot of yeah. that kind of like that that Warhammer feel to it. It's a bit steampunk, mm-hmm. and I feel like steampunk has kind of played out a bit over the last the last decade, oh, yeah. perhaps. But put that it's to become what, a
0: bit too top. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I made. think it's um,
1: yeah. It's kind of like it, it was of the moment and now it's now it's not. But I'd, I'd recommend giving that a go because I, I, I read it and I was like, ah, mm-hmm. is there a game in this? Could you make models of, of yes. it uh, fun to think about? Um, Absolutely. I'm going to recommend a slightly odd film. Um, cool. But I think it kind of it ties into sort of the stuff I do for the podcast. Um, I'm going to recommend a thing called A Sense of History. You can find this yeah. on um, on YouTube, and it was a film okay, made by made and written by Jim Broadbent, who is like a, a, a mm. classical British actor, and directed by Mark yeah. Lee. And it depicts it's a monologue to camera done by an English aristocrat talking about his life, and it ends up going into very dark places. Um, yeah. And it's a, I think like i I am I, I think it's a piece of acting and storytelling that I really really admire and it's not Warhammer yeah. but it's kind of got like a certain darkness to it which I think cords mm-hmm. in with these things particularly and it's yeah, it's a half hour watch, yeah. a sense of history you can find it on YouTube and I'd really really recommend it for a sort of a neat little story if you enjoy. The things from the podcast where it's just like that's just a neat little story. It's its own neat little story as well. Um, Yeah. So that's my my film recommendation. And then finally, yeah. the game I'm going to recommend is called Night of the Hogmen. Um, <laughs> okay,
0: that's a new. It's, one a role, it's
1: a role-playing game rather than a than a tabletop game. Um, yeah. You heard of uh, Blades in the Dark?
0: Yeah. yeah so Bla- so yeah.
1: Blades in the Dark. Made, basically made rules for a, a heist game. There was a This is a heist game. And then they went back and they made rules for a horror game. And Blades in the Dark yeah. and, and Night of the Hogmen, you are early 18th century people who are riding in a carriage. Um, and the carriage yeah. breaks down and you get out of the carriage and you look back over like the, the rainy moors and mm-hmm. you can see that there is a huge swarm of hogs accompanied by hog men coming after you. And then you can see that there's a church in the distance. And on the table yeah. in front of you, there is, I can't remember what they're called now, but there's like two, there's a two, like a clock which represents like hog preparedness and another clock which represents like how close the hogs are. And you have to run yeah to the church to try to get to safety whilst being pursued by this swarm of hogs. And what's amazing is, and this classic um, blades in the dark technique, is you've got a list of things that your character could have picked up. He only picked up four of them, but you only have to choose choose which four you picked up when you think you might want to use one of them. So it's got that thing of like, Um. ah, I happen to have chosen to bring yeah. the um the length of twine at a moment when I think mm-hmm. a length of twine would be really really useful. It's a one night one shot game. Um, I'd yeah. really recommend
0: people give it a go. It sounds wild. You can, you can. I'm pretty sure like people who like Oldhammer and people who like 28 stuff, yeah. would like night, that.
1: night night of the Hogman Does sound like it's got kind of overlaps, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does definitely. Yeah. A lot of the themes we've been talking about today. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and uh, where can anyone who wants to listen to your podcast find yep. it? Yeah, so
1: I'm on most podcast streaming services. If you search for Old Hammer Fiction Podcast, it, it should come up, like Spotify, po- Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts. Um, yeah, so that would be the, the best place really to sure find me. I I post on Twitter, at Lewis Kerno. L-E-W-I-S, K e r n o w, um, yeah. Which you, you can follow me there, and I'm always posting about the podcast or on the Old Hammer yep. Facebook group. So I realise that I'm I'm using Twitter and um, and Facebook, and like it seems to me like 28 is a very Instagram kind of um, phenomenon. Yes, uh,
0: it kind of falls into like uh, I'm doing my master's in computer mm-hmm. science, so Twitter is kind of like. Something I'm not super into. No, let's put it like there's a that there's a description I'm of going more political no, on
1: it. <laughs> absolutely, I, I feel it. And like there's a moment where I'm like, do I? But it's for there's a description of Twitter as opposed to Instagram where they say it's for when you're funny but ugly, and I feel like that's like oh, the, yeah. the, <laughs> the like all these people producing these beautifully painted like Blancheet suit mm-hmm. kind of models, and like I'm here showing like pictures of from the pages of a of a 20 year old text. 30-year-old um, paperback novel and be like, listen to my podcast, man. And that doesn't really come on yeah, across as like well. Twitter
0: is, Twitter is a better yeah, channel. For that kind of thing. For that kind of thing, yeah. yeah. And Facebook, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't use it personally mm. that much anymore. I noticed like almost nobody except, you know, my mom. Yeah. And but it's... posts on Facebook. So it's less and less active. Yeah. There.
1: It's weirdly... The old hammer, like for things like old hammer, it's really survived. Mm. It does. Old hammer doesn't yeah. seem to have made the le- the leap to Discord quite as well as some of the younger. Oh. I think possibly because lots of the old hammer people who own all the really old stuff are really old, so they yeah. are they yeah. are like you yeah. like they, we probably do skew like my listenership skews over forty. Quite heavily, yeah. like we are, like the people that are into this stuff are older people, I guess.
0: Absolutely, you know? yeah. And I'm like, I'm pushing forty as well, and it's kind of like you know the childhood thing we talked mm. about. Like, hey, this is what I remember from younger. Yeah. And Discord is perhaps slightly harder to search things on. Yeah, you, could, you have to kind of know where you're. Yeah, going it's less
1: discuss- you know. And I think like that's what I find with Turnip. Is Turnip is a perfect Discord thing. Because it's a cult, oh yeah, and it's like, hey, do you want yeah. to start doing this thing? Come in here, look at mm-hmm. this. Come in this room, look at this. And it's like, yeah. and and but you have to have been like, I'm going to start doing this fucked up thing. I'm going to start making yeah. little turnip men. All right, I'm going to go and join mm-hmm. this club, you know. Whereas by contrast, I think you you can get kind of like vague Warhammer nostalgia, like just kind of passing mm-hmm. through your feed with much less kind of intent there's
0: a Yeah and you're kind of like hmm Warhammer yeah, search it for Facebook yeah, yeah. and if you know somebody that group is gonna pop up yeah, and stuff exactly, like that. Yeah. It's easy. Easy it you know. easy whereas
1: yeah the Discord You can browse it. Yeah the Discord seemed to be much more purposeful and it's this specific
0: yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean like our Discord uh server I think it's called uh the twenty eight one is Really growing a lot, and uh, but it's still keeping the whole same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you have to market it in a way you don't have to do it with a Facebook. Page. Yeah. Okay, like, hey, we're here in the dark corner yeah. under the stairs. That's exactly. It. I guess some yeah, They don't, miniatures with us. Yeah, they
1: don't record. They don't go. You might like this Discord. Maybe you'd like this mm-hmm. Discord. You know.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a bit a different beast in that sense. Mm-hmm. But hey. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. And hopefully it's been very illuminating for our listeners who might be younger than (laughs) 40. I don't know. I don't follow that statistics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hope we can have you on again in the future. Yeah, I'd love
1: to. I felt like there's loads of other stuff I could have talked about. There's um, paths we didn't take. There's loads of things to say. Excellent. Absolutely.
0: Thank you very much, and thank you to our listeners. This has been another uh, episode of 32, and we'll be back soon for more. Bye-bye.